Hello there. This is Benny, and this is Kyle, and you're listening to the Doctor's Watcher, the podcast, the only podcast, in fact, where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it, and maybe the only podcast where we sometimes talk about Doctor Who as if they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't verified that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. That's kind of become our <laughs> trademark, one of our trademarks. Um, I did notice that we've, we've stopped referring to technology as often, and I sort of miss that, <laughs> yeah. that recurring gag. I, I, I mean, if I have to very consciously bring it back, by golly, I am not above doing so, <laughs> <laughs> keeping that gag on life support. So how are you doing today, Benny? Well, I've been very busy, so this, is, this might be the last episode that we ever record at our current place because my partner and I are, if everything goes according to plan, moving a week from tomorrow. So we still have a couple of moving parts. Um, So things are planned, but I'm always paranoid that something's going to (laughs) happen and get delayed and then we'll have to scramble. Yeah, well, pre-congratulations. (laughs) <laughs> no, do not, do not congratulate I, me. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you put the pre in front of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have heard of that uh, that superstition before about not congratulating people for something before it happens. Yeah, or like you know, yeah. not wishing them a happy birthday like before their birthday, like just in case they like die the next day or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm just hoping everything goes smoothly at this point. And yeah. Knock wood. Well, in my experience, I would say that roughly 100% of Doctor Who podcast hosts end up buying a house. <laughs> uh, well, I know that you guys, yeah, you guys bought a house and moved into it earlier. Um, as our beloved listeners will no doubt remember because they remember all the life events that we discuss on this show. Um <laughs> So speaking of life-changing events and major things to discuss on this podcast, have you seen the latest episode of The Mandalorian yet? Uh, I have not, in fact. I... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I'm still way behind on this the new season. Uh, has it been spoiled for you? Um, I think the one spoiler that I have seen about the season is baby yoda's name which i'm pretty sure was a week or two ago i don't think that was the newest one no no yeah that was the previous episode so if that episode hasn't been spoiled for you holy shit kyle as soon as we hang up on this uh recording i don't care what else you have tonight (laughs) um pop on that disney plus and start watching um how, how far did you make it into this season out of curiosity uh basically just the first episode it's all I've, which is amazing so far yeah it was, it was, it was good. super good but i think i think last night what no two nights ago the one from two nights ago was even better which for those of you at home was episode six um and uh yeah because probably by the time you listen to this the probably the season is over by now i think um, probably yeah when does this yeah, episode air? two more we've got two more coming up um and then that's it um yeah, it was very, very interesting, very kind of Disney Plus and Star Wars to end this season of The Mandalorian so that 
the final episode of the season will be the first one that I ever watch at our new place. <laughs> um, will be quite a celebration, I think, of getting moved in. Nice. Um, again, knock wood. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> and the mic picked it up. <laughs> All right. Well, did you have anything else that you want to discuss before we get into it? Um, no, I don't think I had any particular notes, pre-notes this time, actually. So... So, yeah, we, we started a new serial last time. Should I do my best recollection of, of what's coming up? Um, yeah, so this is, as you say, the first episode of a new serial, episode mm-hmm. 31 of season like one. Strangers in Space or something like yep, that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Strangers in Space. I should just stop there because <laughs> I, I should just cut my, cut my losses, quit while I'm ahead. Uh, but no, I will not. I will try to recall what happened. So they were—they just transferred away from the uh, the Aztec serial. Um, so they the the TARDIS was for a while kind of um, separated from them because it was stuck in the temple and they couldn't get back in. But then you know, during the the climax of the the serial, they managed to get in thanks to a, a pulley because Doctor Who is a an educational show and now true. they they traveled away and um some time passed so feel free to add some fanfic between the aztecs and this next serial and now they their instruments say that the tardis is both stationary and moving if i remember right and they speculate that either it's on something or maybe it's in something that and they all they all look at the camera. <laughs> I just I assume they uh-huh. do it. I know that that's a fact. Oh yeah, they they definitely all look at the camera. Oh good. That is exactly what happens in the Cliff Dangler. Okay, audience listeners, like jot this down because it's the only time I've ever, ever got a score <laughs> for my recollection. <laughs> And yeah, this episode basically picks up right there, right where the previous one left off. Um, I will mention, since we are in a new serial, I like to try to credit the writers of each serial. So this one was written by Peter R. Newman. And I learned that this is actually Peter's only Doctor Who writing credit. Oh, okay. And well, I mean, I, the name didn't sound familiar, but I kept my mouth shut <laughs> because in the past I've forgotten the names of Doctor Who writers. <laughs> and apparently this is actually Peter's last, like, his last on-screen credit in general, like, period. Oh, dang. Yeah, the, what I was reading, I don't remember if I read this. It was probably on the TARDIS.fandom site. Uh, I read that he apparently spent like the last 10 years of his life suffering from severe writer's block. Oh, <laughs> I just assumed that he passed away right after writing it, but I guess that, uh, yeah, that'd do it too. Uh-huh. Uh, but he was apparently pretty proud. He was quite proud actually of having written for Doctor Who. 
Although, cool. as he should be, yeah. His his sister said, I mean, "Maybe I should, maybe I should like <laughs> save that particular save that until the end until of the serial." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, his his sister said that like when he and his family tried to watch the serial when it was broadcast, apparently the transmission broke down during one of the episodes. So huh. yeah, I guess they they must have like not seen a little bit of it or whatever. Huh. But, maybe it was like a, a, a time paradox uh-huh. to have the creator watch his own show. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we're going to find out if his writer's block was because the serial was already like the most amazing thing he had written or if the serial was a warning of times to come. <laughs> so maybe he's like one of those master dwarves who... Like gets struck by inspiration and locks themselves in their like you know forge and is just like making their their masterpiece and then after it's done, they can never again make like a common sword or armor or whatever because they have created this amazing piece of piece of art. Right. Even if That's they thing, right. Even if they have the idea, you know, they'll just be like, well, it's you know, it's never going to compare to you know that amazing that amazing sword that I carved out of bone and, you know, carved an image of my ancestor dwarf, like fighting the monstrosity from underground into. So like, why should I even bother? Okay. It sounds like, you know what you're talking about. So I think this is a dwarf fortress thing. Yeah. That's dwarf fortress. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Cause I feel like, yeah, I know that that sort of thing pops up in other things. Like I think, uh, and D and D, some some dwarves in the Forgotten Realms will have something similar happen. Um, but that sounded like a very specific reference. That you're <laughs> I started off kind of specific, and then you you got even more specific. So we start with our cliff dangler scene. They have the same dialogue about whether the TARDIS has landed on or in something, and they check the scanner, but. The scanner screen only shows static. Mm. We do get more of a hint that there's been some time passing since the previous serial. Of course, at the end of the Aztecs, we saw that some time passed because we got like the fade to black. And as we discussed, like their costuming changed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I left that out. I no longer scored 100 on my recollection. <laughs> <laughs> but we get another hint of time passing here because... Barbara wonders why they ever bother to leave the ship. And the doctor says, You're still thinking about the experiences you had with the Aztecs. And Barbara says, No, I've got over that now. <laughs> that, and somebody, maybe the doctor says, Well, because we, if we never left the ship, we wouldn't have a show. <laughs> Ian mentions something about how much they've all changed since this journey began. And, like, how amazing the Doctor's ship is. Mm-hmm. He says, you know... Taking us back to prehistoric times, the Daleks. Susan adds... Marco Polo, Marinus. And Barbara finishes off with... And the Aztecs. And probably a bunch of other stuff, too, <laughs> which, you know, we just didn't mention. Because uh-huh. uh, we're, we're just sort of sampling now. I did notice that nobody was like, oh, what about that time that you accused us of sabotaging this ship, but then it turned out that your button with a spring in it was broken? <laughs> and we all thought it was space vampires. <laughs> and we're kind of, to be honest, a little disappointed that it wasn't. Uh-huh. 
I also noticed something I thought was a little bit funny at the start of the conversation when they're talking about how much everyone has changed. The doctor refers to what it all started out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. And I was like, that's some revisionist history right there. Yeah. It started out as some school teachers stalking their student and then getting kidnapped by her grandfather. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, he should have just said that. Instead. Yeah. That sums it up so much better. <laughs> the doctor does want to add something to this discussion of everywhere they've been. So he starts talking about... Yes, and that extraordinary quarrel I had with that English king, Henry VIII. <laughs> you know, he, he, threw, he threw a parson's nose at me. <laughs> <laughs> a barber wonders what the doctor did and he says straight back of course <laughs> take to them to the tower he said oh, that's why i did it <laughs> uh that's pretty cool yeah apparently the tardis was in the tower so oh i see yeah but as the doctor says that was long before you appeared on the scene and oh, so we, we can't write like a, a fanfic about it if we want to include Barbara and Ian. No, if you want to include Barbara and Ian in your Henry VIII fanfic, it's going to have to be the Doctor's second visit. <laughs> and sounds like probably Henry VIII is not going to be too happy to see him. <laughs> I mean, it depends. You know, you could visit him before the last thing happened and uh, find the person around with the biggest nose and say, you know, I think that person would make a really good parson. <laughs> So they wrap up this discussion, and they open up the TARDIS doors and head out into what seems to be the control room of a spaceship. Nice. All right. We're off to a good start. There are two people in this control room, a man and a woman, who are sitting at the control panels, but they're both just, like, slumped over. Hmm. Maybe they're just sleeping. <laughs> Ian and Barbara go over and like check them for pulses and <laughs> okay. Ian pronounces them both to be dead. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's very strange though, because they are both wearing wristwatches, which the doctor recognizes as the non-winding type of watch. You don't need to wind them because, like, the natural movement of the wearer's wrist keeps it wound. I, I think they actually have watches like that now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I actually owned one and probably still do. Cool. I remember seeing ads for them in, like, magazines. Mm hmm. Yeah, so the doctor's seen these ads as well. He knows about these watches. <laughs> and he knows that they'll stay operational for up to 24 hours without any movement. But as they check these watches, they're both stopped, which means even if they just stopped, they haven't been moved in at least 24 hours, mm. but the bodies are both still warm as if they just died very recently. Maybe they just sat very still for a while and then died. <laughs> and then died. Um, so how, how retro is this spaceship cockpit? Um, it was, it was pretty good for 60s sci-fi, actually. It was, you know, a lot of, a lot of dials and, and like, you know, what are the little, the pointy lever thingies, gauges and stuff. 
mm. some switches. Oh, you got to have the switches. Yeah. As a as a big Star Wars fan, I'm a, a number one in my heart is the switches. Pretty sure there were some. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Right some now. screens with glowing lights on them. Very important. You got to have those. Uh huh. So, but Susan and Barbara both kind of have a bad feeling about the whole situation that they're walking into, and they both suggest just heading back to the TARDIS and Ging TFO. So when they say they have a bad feeling about this, do you remember their exact wording? <laughs> so Susan and Barbara both have a bad feeling about this and suggest heading back to the TARDIS and Ging TFO, and the doctor agrees. Mm-hmm. I think, wow. Yeah. I think it would be wise if we returned to the ship and left these people. There's nothing we can do for them. Interesting. I, I, I did notice that he didn't say, I agree with you. It does sound suspiciously like he's presenting this like his own idea. <laughs> that does seem like the kind of thing he would do. Yes. Barbara adds, like, no, we can't even bury them. But as Susan is unlocking the TARDIS door, the the man groans and, like, slumps farther onto his control panel. Kyle, Kyle, hold on. Let me let me uh, tick off the things that we know. Um, we're in space. True. This this guy does not have a pulse. True. But he's still moving around and still seems to be animated in some way. True. Without a pulse, you could say he's the undead in space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm getting my hopes up, but I, my hopes are way up there for our first space vampire. This could very well be, at the very least, a space zombie. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of continues groaning, and they kind of listen to his groans, and they're able to make out that he's asking for help, and he wants this little metal box that Ian brings over to him and he holds this box against his chest for a few moments and we hear a heartbeat sound. Oh man, it's his phylactery. It's a space <laughs> lich. Yeah, I think that's it actually. Because <laughs> after this heartbeat sound, he sits up and he feels much better. He then Oh buddies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're high enough level for this yet. He asks them to, like, take this space phylactery over to the woman, and so they do, and we hear the heartbeat sound again, and she sits up again, and it turns out it's a heart resuscitator. That's, you know, the, the scientific term for space phylactery. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool, like, you know, for a, a bit of, like, retro sci-fi tech, I... I dig it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the man says, It's a heart resuscitator. When you found us, we were in a very long sleep, but we weren't dead. Hmm. And then... If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> they say, reaching further, like, crucifixes in holy water. <laughs> <laughs> he introduces the two of them. My name is Maitland. This is Carol Richmond, my co-astronaut. Huh. Turns out, yeah, 
it turns out they're actually from Earth. And so Ian explains that he and Barbara are from London. And he asks if Big Ben is still on time. <laughs> but Maitland is just like, What century do you come from? The 21st, perhaps. And, you know, Ian corrects him, 20th century. But it turns oh, out... 21st century, that's so far. That's so far ahead. <laughs> uh-huh. That's, that could practically be sci-fi right there. <laughs> turns out... You see, the whole lower half of England is called Central City now. There hasn't been a London for 400 years. We come from the 28th century. Cool. Cool. I dig it. Yeah. So, yeah, now we're in, like, actual verified future. Mm-hmm. Carol, the co-astronaut woman, she's like, oh, hey, they should, you know, probably GTFO. <laughs> and Maitland's like, yeah, probably. It is, like, super dangerous here. Barbara thinks that maybe they can help with whatever's going on. And the doctor's like, Hello, Barbara. I learned not to meddle in other people's affairs years ago. Which causes Ian to start laughing. <laughs> also, like I, I do admire yet another attempt to turn down the quest. Uh-huh. Ian's laughter kind of annoys the doctor who says Now, 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 don't be absurd. There's not an ounce of curiosity in me, my dear boy. <laughs> okay, now even I'm laughing at that one. Uh-huh. And then turning to Maitland. Tell me, why are you in danger? Uh I feel like even little kids would laugh at that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a, p a pretty good one, actually. So Maitland is like, I'm glad you asked. That's the backstory dialogue option. <laughs> so it turns out that they are in an area of space near a planet called the Sense Sphere. Cool. And the creatures there, the Sensorites are preventing them from leaving this area of space. Cool. That sounds like a very classic Doctor Who name for a, a creature. Uh-huh. And yeah, somehow the Sensorites will sometimes take control of Maitland and Carol's brains and stop them from leaving. Interesting. Okay. Maitland is pretty confused about the whole situation, though. He says... They are hostile, these sensorites, but in the strangest possible way. They won't let us leave this area of space, yet they don't attempt to kill us. I, I love the idea that they're hostile in the strangest possible way. <laughs> like, you know, if they put that in the commercial before airing the episode, then I would be glued to my TV to find out what that means. It's, yeah. just, it's so evocative. That's that's good stuff right there. Yeah, like that line definitely needs to be in the episode's teaser. For sure. So far, I think, uh, I think our, our writer may have crafted uh, a good one here. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's shaping up to be so far. So yeah, the, the sensorites don't attempt to kill them, but instead they just put them to sleep sometimes, which is what had happened when our heroes had arrived. Apparently the sensorites even will sometimes come and feed them. Okay, a little weird. Yeah. Kind of kinky, I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but yeah, apparently this is why Maitland and Carol think that our heroes should GTFO because they're worried that if they don't, 
then they're also going to get like stuck here. Basically, the sensorize will prevent them from leaving. Also, so should the astronauts come with them? Has anyone like thought of that? <laughs> Nobody's mentioned that yet. That does seem like it would be a good idea. But okay. yeah, that hasn't come up yet. Yeah, we'll see if <laughs> we'll see if anyone thinks of it. So as this idea of Jing TFO is brought up again, the camera cuts over to a close-up on the TARDIS door lock, and a gloved hand reaches in from off-screen, holding this this handheld device that looked sort of like like a fucked up potato masher kind of nice that's an a plus description kyle it's immediately it puts an idea in my mind i can <laughs> it in my mind's eye and so this hand is just kind of holding the potato masher like near the tardis door lock and we see this smoke start to rise like from around the door lock and then a few moments later the gloved hand just completely removes the door lock and retreats off screen. Cool. Cool. Very, very suspicious, very ominous. Very, uh -huh. um, what's the term I'm looking for? Sinister. <laughs> Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. So our, our heroes are, are considering Gene TFO, and somebody actually does suggest maybe Mayland and Carol should come along. And Mayland and Carol say that no, they have to stay here because of John. We don't get to learn who John is, though, because Barbara has started to smell smoke. Mm. Maitland's like, you know, really, probably you should GTFO, guys. So they head back to the TARDIS. And, of course, they find that the lock is missing. And we get a little bit of dialogue that seemed to kind of strange to me because it, it seemed to imply that Susan knows more about how the TARDIS works than the Doctor does. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you got to have your, your grandchild help <laughs> set up the TV or whatever. That's true, yeah. She's like... Not so much the lock, it's the opening mechanism that does permanently lock. Oh dang. Yeah. Well, um sounds like sounds like Susan is a, a master of door opening technology. It does. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping <laughs> that guy going on life support. <laughs> Ian suggests just breaking the door down, but the doctor doesn't want to do that because that could disturb the field dimensions inside the TARDIS. Dang. Yeah, you don't want to disturb the field dimensions. Yeah, that's a very important technology. It's, I mean, it's okay if, it, if you disturb some of the other dimensions, but the field dimensions are the ones that you really don't want to disturb. Yeah. 
so yeah, basically at this point they're fucked. They didn't GTFO fast enough, and so now they've they have to do the quest. They should have GTFO. Meanwhile, the camera operators all start shaking and rocking their cameras. <laughs> and classic Star Trek style. Uh-huh. And our heroes are all like, ah, oh, what the fuck? And it turns out the sensorites have taken control of the ship. And Who knows? Maitland and Carol are both powerless to do anything about it. They're just kind of like sitting there staring in, off into space. And now the ship is on a collision course with the planet Sensphere. Cool. I mean, you know, terrible. <laughs> but we wanted to get a closer look at the Sensphere anyway, right? Yeah. The doctor kind of starts like shaking Maitland and like trying to to get him out of this stupor. And he is actually somewhat successful. It gets Maitland to tell him like where the various ship controls are in between Maitland's cries about how useless it all is. Okay. And of course the doctor has some proficiencies. So he gets advantage on roles when attempting to control a spaceship. Mm -hmm. So he's very min maxed. We've established. Yeah. (laughs) So he's able to swerve away from the planet and you know, they don't, they don't collide with Sensphere. Cool. I mean, darn, because I want to see Sensphere up close. But <laughs> it's probably for the best. Uh-huh. We get uh, a fade to black indicating passage of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Classic. And afterwards, Maitland and the Doctor are discussing how the Sensorites are able to control Maitland and Carol, but Carol actually kind of resisted. And, of course, our main heroes seem immune to the Sensorite's effects. So far. Yeah. So it, it all seems very strange to them. The Doctor wonders... Tell me, have either of you ever met any of these creatures or seen them? And it turns out that they haven't. But John has. Mm, The mysterious John. Yeah, John is apparently the other member of the crew, and he's a mineralogist. The doctor wants to talk to him, but Malin says that that's out of the question. But he talks to John. Yeah, he can't talk to John, but Malin's not going to explain why. He just says, I'd rather not talk about it. They check the crew manifest and there's no mention of John. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, John, he's an important member of our crew. Uh-huh. Our old friend, John, from Earth. <laughs> Meanwhile, Susan and Barbara have been preparing everybody a meal of... I'm Russian Zalaka. <laughs> I like it. Uh huh. Also, the term iron rations is always going to make me think of D&D. <laughs> you got to make sure you got iron when you're going into a dungeon. Yeah, that seems, that seems wise. 
You just eat your regular rations on your way to the dungeon and on the way back. But while you're in the dungeon, you eat iron rations. I think this is mostly a thing in like second edition. Um, but listeners, feel free to. <laughs> <laughs> they ask where the water is because, you know, you want something to help wash those iron rations down. Mm-hmm. And Carol tells them, but. As they go looking for where Carol pointed to, they completely miss the giant tank labeled water (laughs) and think that she must have meant through this door that's right nearby. So they discover like motion sensors to wave their hands in front of that opens the door. Wow. High tech. Yeah, they've got some real advanced door opening technology in the 28th century. <laughs> Being able to open a door just by waving your hand in front of a sensor? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and thank you thank you for helping me. I, I've noticed your efforts to help keep this gag alive, Kyle. Well, we, we can do it, you and me. We're in this together. So they head off down the hall, and they don't notice another hand appearing and waving in front of the sensor behind them to close the door. Gasp. I will say that this does not seem to be the same hand that took the TARDIS door opening mechanism because that hand was gloved, but this one was was just bare skin. Mm, So Maybe unless the person took their glove off (laughs) (laughs) possible i don't know (laughs) Uh, it is very soon revealed that this hand belongs to a human man who looks like super strung out and he kind of like stumbles on down the corridor in the same direction that Barbara and Susan had gone off in. Hmm. So here in my notes that I wrote a couple of weeks ago before, you know, we started talking today, I wrote, we've mentioned space vampires a few times on this pod, (laughs) but is this the first appearance of a space zombie? Ah, well, you, I mean, I'm glad that we had that as a backup in case we hadn't mentioned it before, (laughs) but, um, Yeah, you you needn't have worried. (laughs) (laughs) So while Susan and Barbara are off looking for water in completely the wrong place, Maitland and Carol are both continuing to refuse to give Ian and the doctor any information about John. You know, you say that they're looking in the wrong place, and you also mentioned that they walked past the thing, but is this a bit like when you want to look around someone's house, and you're like, where's the bathroom? And they're like, oh, just down the corridor to your left. And then you accidentally miss the bathroom, and <laughs> then you just kind of have to wander around the house looking in various rooms. Uh-huh. I wonder. There could be, I think, a little bit of that in in this but (laughs) they're they're trying to pretend like it's not because they actually do have a little bit of dialogue with each other about looking for water all right like oh maybe it's over in this room and stuff (laughs) (laughs) so ian does finally notice that barbara and susan are gone 
and Mayland and Carol both rush over to the door that Susan and Barbara went through, which of course is closed now, and they are unable to open it no matter how much they wave their hands at the censors. Well, they give it their best. <laughs> They're like, oh shit, we probably should have warned them. But they don't explain, like, what they should have warned them about. Could warn the rest of us. They're just like, you know, they just say that they better head off the other way to try to go save Barbara and Susan. I guess, like, the layout of this ship is implied a few different times to be a loop. Oh, cool. I like that. That's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. So they go and wave their hands at the other door. And they head down that corridor to another door, but this one seems to be locked. Do all these corridors look suspiciously similar? <laughs> Almost like they're reusing the same set every time? Almost. They, I think there was one point where they kind of run like from a corridor through a room into another corridor, mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you if it was one continuous shot or not. <laughs> so down at this other locked door down the other corridor Maitland starts like breaking down again mentally basically and you know talking about how useless it all is and Ian wonders are there sensor rights in there? we the viewers get to see what is in there which, of course, is not sensorites. It's Barbara and Susan cowering against the wall while her space zombie, presumably John, stumbles toward them. Oh, dang. This is sounding increasingly like an actual space zombie. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, like, stumbling closer and closer, and they're kind of, like, backing up against the wall. When he gets close, they step to the side, and he just kind of, like tips over where they used to be and well, sometimes sometimes you just uh get away with stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> they use this moment to like head into another room uh you know now that i'm thinking it through probably he tried to grab them but just like rolled a one <laughs> yes i wonder what your night of the living dead was so, yeah, they're able to get away into another room and they start kind of trying to move this file cabinet around. I think the idea is to use the file cabinet to block the door. Mm -hmm. But the space zombie is coming. They end up kind of hiding alongside the cabinet okay. with, you know, a very poor stealth check similar to what we've seen in some previous serials. But space zombies have even poorer passive perception because he just kind of wanders into the room and then he kind of like grimaces and cries and like holds his head in pain and then kind of like turns around with his back to them and wanders back out of the room. Interesting. Uh, I wasn't expecting the, the cry of pain. Yeah. Um, and And... By the way, Night of the Living Dead was 1968, so I think this might actually predate that. So Night of the Living Dead is inspired by this, is what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, obviously. 
So meanwhile, Carol and Maitland are having a discussion where Carol wants to find out what happened to John. She points out yes, that... Yes, we, we, the audience, want them to find that out ASAP. Yeah, that does seem like a, a thing that would be helpful. She points out that the doctor and his companions have basically proven that it's only fear that allows the sensorites to control their minds. And Maitland yeah, like a, is like, like... a bit of a jump, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maitland's like, yeah, but I'm fucking scared. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Carol really wants to see John, though. She says that the last time she saw him, he didn't even know who she was. And, you know, that's upsetting to her. So they decide that they have to get the door open. They have to find out about John and save Susan and Barbara while they're at it. I mean, you know, as long as they're finding out about John, they might as well save Susan and Barbara. <laughs> So Maitland is going to cut the lock out of the door. And is he an expert on removing locks from things? <laughs> I will say that he does not have a fucked up potato masher. Okay. Ian is like, cool, while you work on that, Carol, tell me some more backstory. We, yes. still, we still don't even know who John is. So it turns out that Carol and John were engaged actually and they were going to be getting married when they got back to earth yeah they didn't have any cocoa beans on the spaceship right <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're when you're doing these missions you want to be careful about like how much weight you're bringing and stuff so yeah you know cocoa beans seem they, like they didn't they didn't count on it I mean, yeah they didn't prepare for every eventuality so yeah, they they were gonna wait till they got back to Earth so they could you know have the proper cocoa bean ceremony and get married. But the sensorites attacked him far more than Captain Maitland and me. I had to sit there helplessly and watch him get worse and worse. Which yeah, like really must have fucking sucked. Yeah. Ian's like. You mean they've taken over his mind? And he wonders, like, how John has changed or, like, how he might react to Barbara and Susan. Mm -hmm. And Carol's like... He'll be frightened of strangers. He, he may become violent. Dang. Okay. I mean, we, we're kind of seeing that um, already. Uh-huh. So we cut to inside the room where John keeps stumbling after Barbara and Susan, but they've basically like run out of doors to go through to get away from him. And pretty soon they are backed to the end of a corridor and they have nowhere left to go. And he's stumbling closer and closer. And then the, uh, the words on the screen appear. <laughs> uh, not quite yet, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He falls to the floor on his knees in front of them, crying. Not what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, same here, actually. He looks up at them, and he says, Who are you? You're like my sister. Have you come to help me? 
four years. Hmm. Very mysterious. Kind of creepy. Barbara and Susan realize or, you know, decide or whatever that he's ill. And Barbara promises to take care of him. Maitland is cutting through the door with an electromagnetic-powered cutting device. Cool. So we're getting, like, a few different types of door lock cutting technologies here. You've got your fucked-up potato mashers and your electromagnetics. Mm-hmm. Well, one, you use one to, to make sure the door stays closed, and the other one to open the door. <laughs> the doctor is annoyed at how long it's taking. Can't you go faster? Susan's in there. Which I thought was... he cares. Yeah, it was kind of nice to see him, like, showing concern for his granddaughter. Yeah, I mean, he he did, for some reason, feel obliged to only mention one person in Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but Mayland stops cutting through the door when they all start hearing this high-pitched whine, which apparently is the sound of the Sensorite spaceship. Oh, dang. I will say that it was unclear whether this noise is, like, broadcast or what, since we all know that, like, you know, unlike underwater, when, like, if you're in a submarine and there's, like, an enemy submarine nearby and you all have to be quiet, Mm -hmm. that doesn't apply in space because sounds don't travel through the vacuum of space. Yes, and Doctor Who is an educational show, so I would say it's about a 50-50 chance that they'll actually stick to that rule. (laughs) So, in any case, regardless of how this sound is being manifest, they are hearing the whine indicating a sensorite spaceship, and they look at the ship's view screen, and sure enough, there are these two kind of little white kidney-shaped blobs moving across the ship's view screen. Cool. And Ian's like, Yes, but they look miles away. But Maitland says that it won't take them long to arrive. Also, like, what's the zoom level on this thing? Right, yeah. What's the scale? Not to mention, what's the actual size of the ships? Yeah. What if they're, like, actually really small and and very close? Exactly. So Ian's skeptical of Maitland saying that they'll be here soon, basically. And he asks the doctor how long he thinks it'll take. But the doctor's just like, "Uh, I don't know. Shrug. Mm-hmm. They've been here before. They stole the TARDIS lock mechanism, remember? And Ian's like, of course I remember. That was earlier in this episode. We haven't even started on the second episode of this serial yet. <laughs> yep. They probably took your TARDIS door lock thingy to their planet. And the doctor's like, So now they're coming back with, with what orders? To take over our minds? Hmm? Or to kill us? Hmm. Hmm. John and Barbara and Susan in the other room can all also hear the Sensorite spaceship whine. And John starts getting worried. And Barbara's trying to calm him down. She's just like, you know, chill, it's going to be fine. But John says, I'll protect you. And Barbara's just like, uh, okay, uh-huh, cool, cool, sure. <laughs> well, I guess we had to have our 60s feminist moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do like that Barbara isn't particularly impressed. Yeah, I, I did appreciate that too. Barbara's like, yeah, really. I think it's you know it's because he's showing signs of mental illness of some sort that she's saying that you know she's kind of just appeasing him or whatever. But but yeah, I did appreciate that she's you know very clearly not trusting in his protection, as it were. Well, she's Barbara, person of action. Exactly. If anyone's going to protect anyone, she's going to be protecting him. Yes. In the control room, as they discuss what to do and the high-pitched whine continues, Mayland reminds everyone, Now remember all of you, no violence unless the censorites start it first. Ian objects to this. Yes, he does, because <laughs> by golly, sometimes you just got to bring the violence. Uh-huh. Why no violence? Surely we've got the right to protect ourselves. But it's actually the doctor who has the answer to this objection. He says, My dear Cheston, it's our minds that they take over. So we must assume that the brain is all important. Now let us our own intelligence be our own defense and attack. Interesting. And with this, the high-pitched whine abruptly stops. And everyone kind of tenses up for a moment, and Carol says that she can sense the sensorites all around them, and Maitland shushes her. And after Maitland shushes her, it, it kind of seems like she and Maitland both seem to have frozen up a bit, and they're just kind of like staring ahead at the view screen. And Ian looks at the view screen. And after a moment, the camera also looks at the view screen, which is looking out into space. But what we see on the screen is the upper half of the body of a sensorite. Whoa. I should clarify here that it's not that there's like half of a body floating in space. It's that the lower half of its body is not visible on the view screen. Okay, that's that's what I pictured. Yeah, but I still said woke. <laughs> yeah, so if you if you imagine that their view screen's like a window, the sensorite kind of like you know peers into the window, basically. And what do the sensorites look like? I'm glad you asked. This is our first real look of the sensorites. Mm-hmm. Other than seeing, you know, the gloved hand, presumably, of one earlier. Mm-hmm. And they're really something. I, I'm i sure that you and our listeners are going to do an image search later. Yes. But, but what just I, in case our listeners are not at their computer right now. <laughs> what I will say is that they have these big round heads. And they don't have any hair on top of their heads. But they do have these, like, weird scraggly beards. Hmm. And I think their beard, their beard's hairs kind of all go up the side of their face, if I remember right. And their whole face area, of course, you know, we're presuming face. We've talked before about how we try not to, like, make assumptions about alien physiology Let's just say the part that the actor's face is behind. Right. That part of of their body are like kind of smooth and squishy. Cool. And they did have like 
eye-resembling things. I don't think they had any, like, nostrils. They did kind of have mouths, but it was unclear if if the mouth opened or not. Mm. And then they've got these big, pointy, ear-like things that are, like, very ridgy and, you know, up against the sides of their head areas. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, pretty interesting costumes. Uh, as we are sitting there thinking our thoughts about the BBC costume department, this is when the words next episode, the unwilling warriors appear on screen. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's do that Google image search then. <laughs> so I will say as you're searching that I I didn't mention at the start of the episode, I talked about how Peter Newman was proud of having written for Doctor Who. Apparently, his family did believe that he was embarrassed by the actual Sensorites costumes. <laughs> Alas, well, their heads are pretty cool looking. Um, the rest of the costume, which I can see in some of these image results, not so much. Yeah, I will say that the heads are, are the most interesting part of their costume. Yeah, everything else is just basically a, like a spandex suit. Like a yeah, leather. yeah, or I think it might even be like sweatpants fabric. <laughs> uh but their their heads look cool. I would say, you know, about Star Trek alien levels. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. Cool. Well, this is a pretty cool episode so far. I mean, I don't know if I'm enjoying the actual episode synopsis or just our conversation about it, but <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit so far. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting serial so far. I think you know, obviously it's very early, so we are going to have to reserve our judgment on the serial overall. But yeah, like this was, was kind of a, a lot going on in this episode. You know, we start off with like a very brief thinking that they're dead. And then, you know, that's over and done with. And but then, you know, once we get into like the is John a space zombie plot. Mm hmm. That kind of sustains it through the rest of the the episode. Yeah, I mean, we uh, I, I'd say we've got a pretty good argument for this being our first space undead. Um, well, all right, maybe not undead, but we can still call it a space zombie. Yeah, I think there, you know, Barbara definitely seems to want to try to de-zombify him, and the way he interacts with Barbara and Susan, I think, makes it less certain if he's actually a space zombie or not but well, um yeah switch back and forth but i'd say <laughs> he's definitely zombed up some of the time so are you saying he's a, a space wear zombie <laughs> i wasn't but i wish i had been <laughs> that's excellent Okay, well, yeah, no, I, I really want to know what happens next. Um, unfortunately, we, we only had time for this one recording session um, or this one episode in this recording session, so I'll have to wait 
couple of weeks um, to find out what happens next, just like all of you. But I'll look forward to it. Indeed. In two weeks, you can... Well, I don't know how long for you, Benny, but for our listeners, in two weeks, they can find out all about who the unwilling warriors are and why they're so unwilling. Yeah, I mean, it's a... It's not like instantly an amazing title, but it does have that kind of draw to it. It's it's intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good word for it. Cool. Well, thank you, Kyle. Indeed. Thank you. And I'll see you next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Na, Bye. Na, na. <laughs> Bye. Hi, Benny here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to me listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Father, let's go back to the TARDIS. Why? I don't know. I've got a feeling about this. Yes. I can sense something, too. You mean that whatever it was killed them could kill us?